coming up on crossing the lane lines. Between 1915 and 1970, nearly six million African Americans fled the Jim Crow South in search of a better life in the North. The vast majority found solace along the East Coast and Midwest, but some ventured farther to the sands and sun of California. Today, we'll speak to historian Dr. Allison Rose Jefferson about the great migration westward and how some black families, even though racism awaited them, settled along the California coast and built up beachside businesses, leisure spots, and cultural spaces. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. From 1915 to 1970, almost 6 million African Americans moved from the teeming, crowded, overbearing, and racist conditions in the South in search of a better life in the North. They sought better jobs, housing, and a chance to be considered, well, normal. But what about opportunities to experience downtime? Were there any parks, clubs, or even seaside opportunities for leisure that they could take advantage of without the threat of Jim or Jane Crow? Where were these opportunities? Did they even exist? More importantly, for our discussion today, were there any that existed here in California? Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Allison Rose Jefferson, a third-generation Californian. She earned a doctorate in history in 2015 from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and is the author of Living the California Dream, African-American Leisure Sites During the Jim Crow Era, the winner of the 2020 Miriam Matthews Ethnic History Award by the Los Angeles City Historical Society. Dr. Allison Rose Jefferson, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines. Hello there, and thank you very much for inviting me to participate in your program. It's great to have you with us. Dr. Jefferson, as I mentioned in my introduction, during the turn of the 20th century, millions of African Americans began moving out of the South to the North to places like Chicago, Philadelphia, and Harlem. What were some of the reasons why folks moved out to California, a place that seemed at least, I mean, to my family at the time, foreign? Well, African Americans were moving to California for the same reasons that they were moving to the northeastern and midwestern part of the United States. They were moving to escape Jim Crow and Jane Crow, as you uh, aptly uh, uh, described it in your introduction. They were looking for better lives for themselves. And California, although it was a long way, uh, for some people who were a little more adventurous and had a little more, uh, uh, had a little more resources, they moved to California instead of moving to the Northeast. Uh, it's much warmer here than it is in New York. And uh, uh, a lot of people moved north because there were already established networks of people that moved uh, in that direction. California and other western places uh, were a little tougher uh, from that standpoint because there, it was far away. And it was not uh, an established area where there were uh, black Americans of the United States. Now, there were a few black Americans of the Mexican Empire and the Spanish Empire, but that's a whole nother conversation uh, in talking about the Americas. So uh, people moved to California because they wanted a better life, just like anywhere else they moved out from, from uh, when they left the South. 
You've stated that, quote, leisure was not an optional add-on to civil rights, but an essential component of liberty, close quote. Can you talk more about this, please? Well, um, that, it, it's true. I mean, it, we have to be able to, as human beings, have self-fulfillment and be able to choose how to, uh, to spend our time uh, when we're not working, and for that matter, to be able to choose what kind of work we do. So liberty and and the pursuit of our own uh, intellectual activity, our own emotional expression, our own rejuvenation in the way that we want to do it is very important. I'm wondering if you could speak about the sustained community that was built up in Santa Monica by African Americans beginning in the 1880s. Yes, well, most people don't realize that uh, there is a historic African-American community, uh, a historical African-American community in Santa Monica that began in the late 19th century with the forming of the town. Just like African-Americans were going to Los Angeles and going to uh, uh, the Bay Area and to Seattle and uh, what have you, Santa Monica, was one of the places in terms of the Los Angeles environs that some African Americans decided that they wanted to have a home. And so the community really uh, accelerated in terms of its formation uh, after the turn of the 20th century, just like in general in terms of Los Angeles. So this community in Santa Monica was really an extension of the Los Angeles community because that's where most African-Americans lived in the region, and it was also, in terms of our region, uh, by the turn of the 20th century, Los Angeles uh, and and the environs became the um, uh, place where uh, the majority of African-Americans in the West and in California were settling. And um, with that, Santa Monica was one of the offshoots of the community where some people figured out that they could make a living and enjoy living by the beach, just like the white folks that were out there. And so in 1906, they formed their first uh, uh, first uh, spiritual and uh, civic institution with Phillips Chapel Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, which um, uh, eventually got a building uh, at uh, Bay Street and uh, at Bay, uh, at 4th and Bay Street, and it is still there. The church is still there. It was remodeled in the 40s. And so once that anchor was there, that showed that there was the development of a community in Santa Monica. And the the community grew uh, over the course of the 20th century. Uh, It's always been relatively small. Uh, because in terms of the economic opportunities for African Americans, people had to fit into the economy where they could. And um, there were not places for black professionals. Now, there were a few black business owners there uh, and what have you, but black professionals, for the most part, the majority of them, were not able to get uh, positions until much later in the century. They didn't get the first African American doctor and dentist until the 1930s. And even their practice uh, was 
uh, it was supported by African American, but it was also supported by uh, Mexican Americans and whites who would uh, who would go to these uh, professionals for service. The first African American teachers uh, didn't start working in the uh, school system in Santa Monica until the 1950s. There were a few black policemen in the 40s. Uh, no black firemen until the 70s. So. Uh, in terms of the community, most people were working in service-related uh, positions around uh, being uh, maids and uh, porters and uh, working in trucking and hauling uh, and other kinds of uh, uh, businesses like that, gardening, those kinds of things. A few African Americans did uh, attempt to have resort businesses that, uh, that were to uh, uh, service the African-American clientele that was coming out to the beach. The earliest one that we know of was formed uh, around 1914, and that was uh, the, the uh, uh, it was called La Bonita, and it was a bathhouse, and they had uh, some uh, uh, apartments for uh, overnight stays and extended stay, and they had a cafe, and in different configurations, that uh, establishment lasted through uh, the 1950s. And then, it, uh, when the neighborhood was taken through uh, through eminent domain to expand the Civic Center campus, that was the end of that. And there were a few other restaurants and things that formed in this area near the beach uh, as well. And then there were other attempts to establish larger uh, uh, beach service uh, facilities for African Americans in the 20s and also later in the 1950s that were uh, sabotaged by white supremacist uh, efforts to keep African Americans from holding the valuable property by the beach. When you talk about this valuable property that black people own near the beach, and the attempts by white supremacists to suppress it, I'm reminded of Bay Street Beach in Santa Monica. I'm wondering if you could talk about Bay Street and its historical context with the African-American community. Yes, well, since the African-American community in the Ocean Park and uh, in the Ocean Park and South Santa Monica area was there near uh, the beach area near Bay and Oceanfront Walk, and Pico uh, and Oceanfront Walk. Uh, this area is where African Americans uh, congregated at the beach starting early in the 20th century. The area initially was more, uh, was a bigger area, uh, and as the development of the beach clubs and other uh, facilities along the beach by whites uh, uh, were constructed in the 1920s that excluded African Americans, they got pushed south to this area that uh, was on the beach in front of a public park called Crescent Bay Park. And the beach was public, but uh, if you had a beach club there and they put out their umbrellas uh, on the beach and said it was their area, then, you know, you had a little problem with that. You couldn't uh, necessarily, even though the law said that it was a public resource, sometimes those laws weren't necessarily enforced or they were laxly enforced. So Bay Street uh, became the recognized area where most African Americans uh, would hang out because by the 1920s when that happened, 
uh, it was um, also when you had a big population push uh, in terms of the growth of the African-American community in the region. So going to Bay Street was, you know, the cool place to go at the beach where you were going to go and meet your friends, usually. Um, uh, or just that was your place to go to the beach that was uh, most convenient because you could take the um, the electric streetcar out to Ocean Park and get off nearby, go over to uh, where La Bonita was and change your clothes, get a meal, and then walk over to the beach. Or you change your, if you drove out, you could change in your car, or you could go to the public restroom that was right there. And people enjoyed using that uh, beach area and having access to the public park that was right there. And because of the fact that that, that public park was there and there wasn't private property behind it, it was helpful in African Americans maintaining their space there in their communities of the South Santa Monica neighborhoods to use the beach right there with less harassment than they might have at some other places. Because um, I do know that uh, African Americans did go to other beaches, but usually if they were going to be in groups, they came to the beach there in Santa Monica. Because we have stories of people being at the beach up at Topanga, uh, which is uh, north of Santa Monica. And um, then I know that there were people that would sometimes go to the beach uh, in the Pacific Palisades area also during the 20s and 30s and 40s, but usually they weren't going in big groups. When folks decided to go to other beaches, what was the reception? Were they harassed or were they left alone? So it would depend on what was going on at the particular time and place of where these African Americans were hanging out. Um, even as early as uh, the 1920s, I'm talking about this beach at Topanga, there was an, a really bad incident up there where an African-American man uh, and his family, the Valentine family, were up there hanging out, and they got into an altercation with some folks up there who said they were on their land uh, at the beach. Well, they, you know, on their land, that's questionable. It's a question of what's the mean tideline and what somebody's in for public and private land. That's kind of the dividing line uh, in terms of what's public and private. So, you know, if you're there in the morning and it's low tide, there's a lot of public land there. It, it, you, I, I mean, there's a lot of private land there or public land, public land, public land. So it just depends, you know, um, um, uh, on the time of day and who's there. And at that particular situation, there were some folks that were sympathetic to the uh, Ku Klux Klan, and they were um, off-duty sheriff uh, 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 deputies, and they uh, tried to make the Valentine family leave the beach, and they shot at um, they shot at uh, Arthur Valentine. And there was a court case uh, that uh, where he, you know, tried to get uh, justice from all of this, and it went on for a few years, and they indicted the officers, and finally they dismissed the case. And then there were uh, other incidents where I've read about people in the same time period 
enjoyable time. They have it mentioned in social mentions. Now, when we say the same beach, it may not be the same exact place where uh, this Valentine incident happened, but it was near Topanga Canyon, and that's how I have the identification of the area. Um, and we have pictures of Topanga Canyon Beach area as being kind of a, a bustling place where people would hang out. And then there's other stories from the 1940s uh, near the Palisades, which is a little further um, south from where I'm talking about the Palisades Beach, where African American, and it was in the county versus in Santa Monica, where African Americans were going to hang out at uh, this particular beach in the evening because they could have fire pits there and they could cook. And there were some folks that were in a nearby trailer park that owned property there who were trying to push off the beach. And they argued with him to tell this guy, uh, white guy, black people argued with this white guy to tell him that they knew their rights and that they could use this beach. And, uh, you know, he eventually went away, but it got written up in the newspaper. That's how I, um, I know about it. And in Santa Monica, there were incidents where African-Americans were harassed around the pier uh, for using the beach just to harass them. And this, this last incident that I mentioned was in the 1940s. So, so it just depends on uh, the time period that we're talking about. And usually in terms of the uh, more egregious uh, 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 we, uh, usually we, we are learning about the more egregious incidents of harassment and violence because they, they wound up getting written about uh, in various publications. Swimmins were an effective tool during the Civil Rights Movement. To my knowledge, most of them occurred back east or in the south. Was there anything like that that occurred out here in California? There was a swimmin that happened in 1927 in Manhattan wow. Beach. And wow. it was the first civil disobedience um, uh, effort that was organized by Black Angelinos with the NAACP. And wow. it was one of the things that uh, coincided with the opening up of the beaches, uh, uh, with the, the local governments purchasing more of the beaches so that there would be public access. And finally, I know this will sound like a very obvious question, but given that we are now confronting systemic racism in this country, why has this history been buried from not only the general publics, but also from African-American history? And secondly, what is being done to illuminate the triumphs and the struggles of black folk from this period and to educate the public? So um, in terms of these beach areas, just as other places of African-American heritage and of just American heritage, they become sites of consciousness and reflection and celebration of, of black culture and as um, places, where, uh, places where people were protesting, protesting all the uh, things that have uh, uh, happened in terms of the um, uh, police brutality uh, issues and and the recognition that we still need to um, 
reclaim and commit to the black freedom rights struggle and also um, look at, uh, in terms of these particular events, reclaiming um, uh, the struggle for racial equality and, and also for black div dig dignity and citizenship. And so with that, people have picked places in their community where they felt safe these kinds of um, remembrances. And so in Manhattan Beach, there was this successful African-American resort that was there until uh, the mid-1920s, and then the white people decided they didn't want the black people to have this resort area any longer, and they took it through eminent domain to create a park. And it was an injustice. It was a racial injustice. They said they needed the land for the park when there was other land that was nearby that was less developed than this particular land that they could have taken more easily um, than taking this land where African Americans had built this small community and this successful resort. And so folks have used that site there for different remembrances of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, uh, also celebrations of Father's Day and celebrations of Juneteenth Day. Um, as it relates to the history of these particular sites that I talk about in my book, we're focused on, on the beach areas. Um, local history is a hard um, thing to get into the history books. Um, most in California, what folks learn about in terms of uh, local history is the California mission history, and that's in elementary school. And then in junior high school, you may get some history in your civics lessons, and, and in terms of local history, that would um, uh, be upon your teacher to decide that she wanted to include that, and the same with high school. And so in terms of where we are now, I'm someone who is offering an opportunity through my research for people to learn about these local histories in Santa Monica through my research and through the various programs I'm involved in. And so with that, the book is out there. People can start there and look at the stories of these African-American pioneers. And I am myself working on different projects to uh, make people more aware of this history, uh, to be inspired by it and empowered by it, and that's through uh, work I'm doing in Santa Monica in particular. Um, I've been doing experiential programs with kids at the Bay Street Beach uh, over the last, uh, since 2013, where they're learning about the history of the African American beach site uh, intersecting with learning and learning to appreciate ocean sea life and stewardship and also um, uh, 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 heritage conservation and uh, environmental uh, or nature conservation um, uh, ideals uh, and looking at ways to uh, implement uh, social action so that people will be able to look at who has the opportunity to enjoy these spaces. 
and um, also with these programs, uh, kids have an opportunity to get an introductory surf lesson. So that, um, you know, that's an enticement to develop a relationship with the ocean. Uh, and so with those, those programs have been going on for a while. And then more recently, I am I'm in the final stages of um, the development of the Belmar History and Art Program, which is uh, a civic-sponsored uh, 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 program that's going to be installed at a new uh, sports field park at Fourth and Fourth uh, at Fourth and Pico, right by uh, the uh, the edge of the Civic Center campus. And there we are. Um, uh, sharing information about the African American heritage in the South San, uh, South Santa Monica neighborhoods, and there's information about uh, the businesses, the the uh, uh, institutions that African Americans formed, the politicians that uh, came to be who are African American, uh, beach culture, uh, uh, various. Um, uh, people that lived in the neighborhood, uh, education, etc. And so, so with that, uh, that's a project that, aside from offering uh, uh, cultural uh, healing for uh, the community uh, uh, in this time, in this period, it's timely. Uh, we we have been working on this project uh, before all the things came up this year in terms of um, uh, uh, the black uh, civil rights struggle uh, advancement. But, but you know, this project is a timely contribution to help um, uh, uh, inform contemporary, um, contemporary uh, life for us to think about who came before us uh, in Santa Monica. And also, it opens the door uh, for us to think about what other history we don't know about in the area. Um, and it is incumbent upon historians and journalists and local museums and archives and what have you to think about, well, why don't I have information on these people who um, I'm, who who are being talked about in this new exhibit that I'm working on, uh, this new installation that I'm working on. Um, and in Manhattan Beach, they did change the name of the park where the Bruce's Beach uh, area was uh, in 2007. And now they're looking at maybe doing some sort of public art and then revising the plaque down there. Uh, so that it more accurately reflects the history of the area. And um, so this has been an ongoing struggle for African Americans and other marginalized groups in the nation and in the world to have uh, our history recognized as part of uh, whatever nation one uh, uh, belongs to. and. Our history has, as African Americans, has been suppressed uh, because of of white supremacy, and 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 
we have been struggling to get the history into uh, the national narrative and to uh, historical memory uh, for centuries. We've been speaking with award-winning author and historian Dr. Allison Rose Jefferson, and her book is entitled Living the California Dream, African-American Leisure Sites During the Jim Crow Era, and is the winner of the 2020 Miriam Matthews Ethnic History Award by the Los Angeles City Historical Society. Dr. Allison Rose Jefferson, we wish you and your family health and safety during this difficult time in our nation, and thank you again for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be a part of the program. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off. <laughs>